Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. God's word says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you recognizing how you have been kind to us in our lives and knowing that that kindness is designed to lead us into repentance. That we would turn from our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion, and turn to you, the one who is kind to us. In the midst of difficulties, the one who lends a hand, who provides, who loves and cares for us. God, I pray that none of us in this room would reject that hand. I pray that we would not shun your kindness because of what we just had read in front of us, of the wrath that's being stored up for us on the day of judgment. God, I pray that we would lean into your kindness by the grace that you have provided for us in your son, Jesus. And may he be worshiped in this place with these people here tonight as you have drawn so many to come and hear your word. God, you are kind to draw us. Would you bless us now as we look to worship you in spirit and in truth? Teach us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 1948, Berlin, Germany. There was a young woman by the name of Rosemarie Leubert. She had just endured the unendurable when she lost a childhood home. She and her parents were homeless and at the mercy of the Soviets there in Berlin. Fortunately, she was smart, and she spoke fluent English. So she was able to acquire a, a, a job with the American occupation forces there in Berlin, where she met Master Sergeant Algie Cross. He wooed her. She impressed him, and they fell in love. He began providing food and luxuries for her and her family that they would not have been able to obtain otherwise. They fell in love and they got married. This is the story of my grandmother and my grandfather. Yeah, praise God. In God's providence, Rosemarie and Algie fell in love in war-torn 
Germany after World War II. Our sovereign Lord is able to take the bleakest moments in human history and shine his light of loving kindness upon whoever he is pleased to do so. And that kindness that he displays out in an abundance of who he is can ripple throughout generations. That is the story of the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them to Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. It is a short story. It is a true story. But on top of that, it's a love story. But before we can truly appreciate the, the romance of the book of Ruth, we have to acknowledge the reality of her desperate situation. That our love story here in the book of Ruth begins with sin and death. So let's look together at Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. God's word says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Milan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, Yahweh, had visited his people and given them food. Lord God, we just ask that you would teach us tonight of what sin and death looks like in our life's pursuits if we keep traveling down the road that we're going down, if we do not turn and repent Return to you, our Lord. Would you teach us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the days when the judges ruled. That's how our love story begins. The days of the judges were terribly dark times of disobedience on the part of God's people. And the book of Judges tells us why exactly that was. Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
they may not have had a king in the traditional sense, but they had a God, Yahweh, as he had made himself known to them. He was to be their king. He had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He had directed them and provided for them in the wilderness. And he empowered them, enabled them to conquer the promised land from the Canaanites. Yet, God's people chose to rebel against him. And that rebellion began a cycle that we see repeated throughout the book of Judges. There's a cycle that went something like this. God's people sinned against him. God acted in judgment against them. They repented and cried out to him. And he would send a deliverer or a judge to rescue his people so that they could find rest. That is, until they rebelled against him again, thus continuing the cycle. When we read the next line in the book of Ruth, that there was a famine in the land, we are to understand that this famine is an act of judgment against God's people so that they would turn from their sin and they would seek God. Yahweh had warned them that this and more was well within the realm of possibilities if they did not obey his voice. He says in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 19, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. You see, in the Old Covenant, the, the former promise of God in the Old Testament, He made it so that if they would do what He commanded, He would bless them. But if they would not do what He commanded, He would curse them. He was to be their king. And they were to be his people. And he desired to be present with his people. But he could not be present with them in their sin. These were the conditions. His holiness demanded it. Enter in Elimelech. We're given a little bit of information on Elimelech in verses 1 and 2. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech was a man of Bethlehem. Now, you, you might not think that that statement says a whole lot, but it does. It is chock full of meaning and irony in this case. Because, you see, the name Elimelech literally means, my God 
is king. My God is king. Elimelech lives in the small town of Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. The house of bread. We cannot breeze right through these first couple of verses. We have to see the bleakness for what it is. A man, a man named My God is King made the decision to seek bread outside the house of bread. And that decision would lead to his death. And as we keep reading, we begin to sympathize with Elimelech. Verse 2 says, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. Elimelech is a family man. He's got a wife and two sons. There's a famine in the land, and Elimelech has four hungry mouths to feed. What is he supposed to do? And we see how easy it is to fall into the flow of the culture around us. Because we could easily replace one word in that verse from Judges, couldn't we? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. And so Elimelech went seeking bread outside the house of bread. And there's a progression that takes place in the first couple of verses of Ruth, right? They sojourn to Moab. Verse 2, they enter into Moab and remain there. We see a similar progression elsewhere in Scripture. It's actually in Psalm 1. It's a progression we're invited away from. As the psalmist says in Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a progression that this non-blessed man would walk and stand and sit around the counsel of wicked around sinners and around scoffers. Do you see the progression that's taking place? It leads us to our first point tonight. Pursuits outside the will of God will always take you farther than you want to go. Pursuits outside the will of God will always take you farther than you want to go. The reality of Elimelech's situation was he had a choice. He was faced with a choice. He could choose to stay in Bethlehem, proving his name to be true of him, that his God was king. He could have turned from his personal sin and trusted Yahweh to provide bread in the house of bread. His other choice was to leave the promised land to search for food among the idolatrous people of Moab where food was seemingly more abundant. He chose the latter. And verse 3 tells us, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. 
and she was left with her two sons. Elimelech tried to provide for his family outside the will of God. And he died, leaving his family worse off than where they were in Bethlehem. The wages of his sin was his death, but he was not alone in bearing the consequences of his own sin. His sinful actions affected far more than just himself. And so I want to pause here because I know we've got men in the room who want to be fathers one day, want to be husbands and want to be fathers who who lead their families well. Maybe you're ready for that responsibility. You look forward to the day when you get to be a husband and father providing for your family. But your decisions that you make today will impact every decision you make as a husband and father. Keep that in mind. You may be ready to provide and protect. You you may have a stable job and income where you're able to provide a home and protect that home. But are you ready to pastor your family? How do you pastor yourself? If I could commend one thing to you, it would be that you would focus on pastoring your family of one now so that you can properly provide, protect, and pastor your family in the future. If there's one practice, very practical, that I can just submit to you as worth your time and worth your attention, it is conducting the family worship of one. That you would take time at the end of your day, open up your Bible and pray to the Lord, sing to the Lord, wrestle with the Lord. And over time, as you date and you get engaged and you get married, you invite her in on that. And as y'all have kids, you invite them in on that practice that you have started when it was just you, just you and the Lord. The reason we see campaigns like Focus or Fight for Your Family is because men have punted on their responsibility to disciple their families. They've punted on it. It's not the church's responsibility. It's yours. Deuteronomy 9 tells us that. That's the father of the household who raises up his family to fear the Lord. So you may think you're ready to provide and protect, but are you ready to pastor your family? Let that begin now. It's a matter of life or death because pursuits outside the will of God will always lead to death. Pursuits outside the will of God will always lead to death. We see that in the case of Elimelech. And unfortunately, we see that also in the case of his sons, Milan and Killian. Because they took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Milan and Killian died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. They could have chosen to leave the land of compromise for the land of promise. But instead, 
They chose to stay and put some roots down. They were in Moab, so they took Moabite wives. Something warned against in Deuteronomy 7. Verses 3 and 4 say, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. Now, this warning is specifically against the Canaanites who inhabited the promised land before the conquest. It's not necessarily against Moabites. But we can see that God's desires and expectations stand in stark contrast from what Milan and Kilian chose to do. They were to marry within the people of Israel, and they chose not to do that. We see again how pursuits outside the will of God will always lead to death. But I don't want you to miss something else in this passage. Pursuits outside the will of God will also always lead to disappointment. Pursuits outside the will of God will always lead to disappointment. Look again at verse 4. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. 10 years. It was 10 years that Milan was married to Ruth. It was about 10 years that Kilian was married to Orpah before those two men died. What do you notice? No children. Ruth and Orpah were barren. But isn't that something we saw in the curse of Deuteronomy 28? Verse 18, Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground. The family of Elimelech may have found some temporary sustenance in Moab, but they could not escape the judgment of God. He alone is the creator and sustainer of life. He brings it about on his terms as he is pleased to do so. We see all throughout Scripture that Yahweh is perfectly capable of opening up wombs. But we need to understand he also has the authority to close them. I want to pause here because I know there's some women in this room who want to be wives, want to be mothers. That's a good desire. But some of you will likely struggle with infertility. And this is something that I, I've gotten to see kind of up close with somebody special in my life has struggled with it as well. And I'll tell you, it's a lot more common than you'd think. And so I don't say that to scare you or even warn you, but if anything, just to prepare you. That it, it may be well within the realm of possibilities that infertility may be a consequence of unrepentant sin in your life or in the marriage. But that is not always the case. So please hear me say that. More than likely, it is a consequence of the original sin that Adam and Eve chose to rebel from their creator in the garden. 
as we see God curses Eve when he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Now, sure, that means at the moment of childbirth where the mother is in pain, but it is not limited to that. That this verse also catches the emotional pain of trying to bring children into this world. And so we need to understand that and grapple with that, but I also want to give you a truth for you to just hold on to and store up if and when this may be the case for you. God loves you. God loves you. And he, if you, if you desire to be a godly wife and a good mother, he's going to match you in that desire. But we live in a fallen world. And so if I can commend anything to you, it would be that while our bodies are broken and they are broken, we must pursue blamelessness in the will of God and trust him to do what only he can do. Yes, our bodies are broken, but let's pursue blamelessness. Let's repent of our sin. Let's call it sin, confess it, repent from it, and invite God to show us where there's other sin in our life that we haven't confessed and repented of. Let's be blameless. So that when it comes to that moment of crisis, you're able to leave it up to God to do what only He can do. Milan and Killian pursued life outside the will of God, and it led to major disappointment with every passing year. Naomi wanted to be a grandmother just as bad as Orpah and Ruth wanted to be mothers. And yet all of them were disappointed. For 10 years, which goes to show you, Pursuits outside the will of God will always keep you longer than you want to stay. Pursuits outside the will of God will always keep you longer than you want to stay. Why is that? One commentator put it this way. Somehow, it seems easier to bear the pain of continued emptiness than to confess our pursuit of fullness in the wrong place. Is that not true of your human experience? I know it's true of mine. That at the last possible moment, I swallow my pride and return to God. It isn't until it becomes apparent to us that life seems better somewhere else that we want to move on it. But even then, it is difficult because we are skeptical about God's kindness. Will he take me? Will he care for me? Does he actually love me enough to look upon me with kindness? Jesus told a story about a son who left his father for wild living. He squandered every ounce of his money and eventually finds himself in a pig pen asking some of the same questions. 
Will he take me back? Will he care for me? Will he look upon me with kindness, if not as his son, then as a servant? And the Bible, the Bible says he came to his senses. He came to his senses and he returned home. And his ever watchful father, while he was still far off, saw his son coming and runs to meet him and embraces him and celebrates him. Naomi, too, came to her senses. Because it says in verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord Yahweh had, re- had visited his people and given them food. That word return is important. It's the Hebrew word shub. And it perfectly encapsulates what this story is all about. It's about returning to God. The author of the book of Ruth credits Yahweh with visiting his people. That is that he brings about the rain that provides the food. We are to understand that after 10 years, the people of God turned back to God and he relented. And here in verse six, Naomi has decided that she will conduct her life pursuits in the will of God again by returning home. She will end up taking her daughter-in-law Ruth with her and God will show both of them his loving kindness. brings us to our main point. Pursue fullness of life in the will of God, and he will show you his loving kindness. Pursue fullness of life in the will of God, and he will show you his loving kindness. Where are you? Are you seeking bread outside of Bethlehem? Are you seeking fullness of life outside the will of God? If you are, the Lord Jesus desires far more for your life. In fact, if you are a Christian, the Lord Jesus expects more for your life. He has been lovingly kind to you already in that he has lived, died, been buried, and raised from the dead for you. That you would walk in the abundance of life that he has to offer you. Are you seeking bread outside the house of bread? Are you seeking bread outside the house of bread? Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. And he was born in that small town of Bethlehem to prove it. He alone can give you the sustenance for your life. Maybe you left him because you thought for a season 
You needed to leave him to make ends meet or to fill your heart. I'm here to tell you there's hope for you. There is hope for you, even if you have chosen the way of rebellion and persisted in it for a long time. There is a way home. Would you return to him? Like a father who greets a long lost son, he will embrace you. Like a God who visits his people, he will provide for you. Come home. Embrace your creator, your sustainer, and your redeemer. Seek the bread of life who comes to us from the house of bread. Return to the Lord Jesus and he will be lovingly kind to you.